Supporting Sexuality, Session 4, Day 2, presented by Lauren Variel at our 2019 SCI Conference, Connections, Sexuality, and Relationships After Spinal Cord Injury. Let's listen in. I am Lauren. I am an occupational therapist. I um, was previously at Mount Sinai Medical Center where I started my career and I started the um, sexuality program there. Um, They had a little bit of a program before I got there, but uh, I was truly blessed at Mount Sinai. They had this outstanding, I mean, they were almost a little too forward with sex at Mount Sinai. It was to a point where one of our clients upon discharge said, like, you guys are really, like, heavy on the sex talk. Maybe back it up for some people. Um, I worked with great doctors who that was part of their intake. Um, I have turned sex into part of my uh, evaluation intake. Um, We did have this apartment. Um, It was considered an ADL room. Um, that we would go and we would practice, you know, bed transfers on a, a non-hospital bed. We had a kitchen there. We had a, a bathtub so our patients can practice getting in and out. And before discharge, uh, you were required to stay at least one overnight stay in this room. Um, and that's where these sex things kind of started taking place. So Mount Sinai kind of became notorious for this sex room. Um, It's not a sex room, I'm going to clarify that now. Um, But I have worked with really amazing um, neuropsychologists and uh, nurses and, you know, PCAs and therapists and physicians who really made it a point to have the sex talk with every person whether they wanted it or not. And sometimes we approached it the wrong way because we would bring people out of bed who really wanted no part of being at my sex lecture to physically be sitting in there. Um, And then there was other times that if somebody was on bed rest, I took my my computer into their room and I did the lecture one-on-one. We had dinner last night and one of the topics that came up was Mitch was saying like, don't call it masturbation because I would often encourage my um, patients when they were an inpatient to explore later on at night. And Mitch said, if you give them the word masturbation, they automatically think prior to injury and they automatically start thinking, well, it doesn't work and it's not going to work. He said, you know, sometimes, now I've been doing this for for 12 years um, and I'm still learning too. So um, for for me, you know, I would often encourage, and, and we have plenty of patients who, you know, the gym in the morning would be like the topic of conversation, like, oh, do you know what my roommate did last night? Um, and for us, it was normal. It was natural. It was something that we actually encouraged at Mount Sinai. So I really hope that you guys are taking the, the right step in the, the step in the right direction by having this lecture and starting to initiate a sex education program, because it is Um, Craig Hospital reached out to me about two years ago and said, is there any continuing education that you guys can provide? And at the time I said, no, you know, you can come to our lectures here. We have a lecture here. I don't know that anybody is offering continuing, continuing education. However, I'm more than interested to kind of set something up with them. Um, Craig Hospital did a research study on what was the number one topic that their patients after discharge went back onto their website to investigate. And the number one thing by far, way above anything else, was sex, followed by like bowel and bladder management. 
So for them, they said, this is bigger than we ever anticipated. Like, we had no idea. Like, they were able to track, like, what people are clicking on on their website. Um, and f for that, they said, like, we had no idea. We do not provide enough from inpatient to outpatient and, and through the course of the entire journey that, that some of these patients are going through. So um, the big push is to have sex become more prevalent because it is part of who we are and what we do. Um, has anybody ever seen any of my lectures? All right, so I can go through one of my lectures because I don't want a redundancy. I do a lot of the same uh, talks and the same stories, um, but uh, it really does make an impact. I sat in a room like a year and a half ago, and I have to tell you, the majority of the people in, my, in that room were patients of mine in inpatient rehab. And you know, we did a show of hands who had sex education. And there was this one guy who sat in the room who like literally said he didn't get anything. And I was like, so I gave him like this side eye and he turned around and he's like, I have to clarify my answer. I did get sex education because if I don't say it, Lauren's gonna yell. Um, but it was, it was awkward for me. And for me, I, I needed to explore that a little more. So, you know, we kind of touched on it. Mitch asked him further questions. Um, but by the end of the day, I realized he just said, you know, I am a male coming in, having a really hard adjustment, and I have a female coming into my room to give me a sex talk. You've never had an erection. You've never had a spinal cord injury. You never had a spinal cord injury with erectile dysfunction. So for me, that was huge. So I was like, how could I have made it better? Um, and, you know, like I said, Mount Sinai had a really great program. It was talked about everywhere. It was encouraged. Go back to your room, figure it out, use the ADL room or their sex apartment as it was notoriously known for. Um, but we also noticed that a lot of our patients weren't talking uh, directly to the therapist, they were asking the nurses or the PCAs, like especially at nighttime when there was nothing to do when they were back in bed and the PCA would come in and say, do you need anything? Can I get you anything? And they, they really formed like these really great bonds with them. And we realized that the wrong information was being given at that point in time. Our PCAs were not trained in some of the, the answers and responses that they should have been trained in, and our peer mentors were coming in, and they didn't have enough of the information either. They were like, this is what I do, do it. And patients were coming into the gym the following day and saying to us, well, this is what so-and-so told me to do. And Sex is very unique for everybody, whether you're injured or not. So we realized that we needed to do a um, peer mentorship education program, and we did. So anybody who wanted to be a peer mentor also had to go through you know, a few different things about um, the, the injury level themselves, that your injury is not the same as the person that you're going to meet. Um, you might be similar, but there's always you know, disparity, and where to redirect those questions to. But more importantly, how can they answer some sex advice? And what was the best resource? So I don't know if anybody has ever seen the sexualitysci.org. Um, it is such a great, <laughs> um, it is such a great resource tool. I'm really proud that I got to be a part of it because I've been out of Mount Sinai for about six years now. Um, but they asked me to come back in and I was so proud to do it because it provides so much information all in one place, and it's the right information. Because nine times out of 10, I meet clients who, you know, they got their information off of what they found on the internet. And we all know that the internet is not always good, valid information. 
Um, and it's kind of scary sometimes what they're comparing themselves to. We talk about how porn is like a standard of, of what their sex life should be. And Mitch said, you know, he had a guy come in who said that, you know, his, um, it was below like three minutes that he was able to tolerate an erection. And Mitch was like, that's pretty good, actually. <laughs> um, considering you're able to sustain that erection and, and engage in sexual activity without losing that. Um, but his, uh, you know, standard was based off of some porno sites that he had gone to. Um, so to be able to refer somebody to a website that even if they're not, on, they're not comfortable talking with you about, but you can now turn around and say, you know, there's this website and it's got really good quality information and it's appropriate information by a lot of different physicians and therapists and things of that nature. Um, so Um, so I am an occupational therapist, and, and the AOTA has um, really adapted a lot of different, um, uh, you know, in terms of ADLs. And, and sex happens to be listed as, as an ADL. It is a very functional, normal part of what makes you a human being. Um, and, and the role of an occupational therapist for any ADL is to provide as many adaptations as possible, whether it's positioning, whether it's switches, whether it's, you know, any type of reconnecting of, of like, to make up for loss of hand function. Um, so if, if you're doing something for feeding and grooming, why not do it for sex? Being able to hold a, a vibrator in your hand, being able to use um, some sort of ability with range of motion or positioning to engage in sexual activity. Um, it, it's at your discretion how far into it you would like to go with that patient, but you, if you at least provide it to them. On my intake, I always ask, are you sexually active? And for somebody in acute, um, inpatient rehab, it, like I think half of the panel said, they, they weren't mentally there. There was either the guy who, like when you first walked in, was like, is it going to work? Or there's other people where you really had to like pick through and, and say like, what can I help you with more? Like, let's talk about like, you know, dressing and let's talk about all these other things. But I would always ask, are you sexually active? And nine times out of 10, I would just let that linger in the air for a few minutes and I would pretend to like type on my computer and turn back to them and say, you have any questions? And they would say, why did you ask me that? because sex is still possible after spinal cord injury. So that's just my approach with it. I also use a lot of humor. I try to make it as light of a topic as possible because it's such a heavy topic. Um, and for me, that's worked. I know a lot of therapists that I still work with today who they are not comfortable with this topic whatsoever. And for them, they're saying, I'm a physical therapist, I should be able to do it, but I just, it's not, I don't have it in me to do it. Um, so a lot of times, like if they're patient, and now I'm in an outpatient setting, if their patient comes in and asks a question, she just like points, she's like, Lauren, go ask Lauren. And I always say, well, I don't know this person. Like, it's really hard to meet someone and say, this is gonna work for you. So more, you guys know them the best. So if this is your patient, think about what they're able to do. Are they able to get into quadruped? Are they able to sit upright on their own without losing their balance? Are they able to lift their arms up so that if they were gonna hug somebody unsupported in bed, that would be okay for them to do? Um, if not, talk about those different areas saying, you know, if you put them in a position, say this is a really great position that if you wanted to reach over and cuddle or spoon with your, your partner, that's okay. Um, and the more you have those little conversations, the more you can kind of break that barrier. 
So um, with one of the, the therapists that I work with, she, she just literally cannot have those conversations. So I incorporated her back in on one of them with this, he was a young guy really struggling with his adjustment, very poor adjustment to his injury. He, um, he went out of state for, for rehab and he kind of came back and he was just in a very depressing, depressive state. So she said, I need you to go in and like give him reassurance. I already told him he could have sex again, but like that's where it ends for me. And I said, why don't you come in with us? Like, let's have a conversation. You know what he's capable of doing more. And we talked about different positioning. And by the end of it, she turned around and she's like, I could do that. I thought it was more graphic than that. And I said, no, it doesn't have to be X-rated information that you're providing. Um, when you're talk, getting into those deeper things in terms of what the, their client's trying to achieve, you could just refer them back to a video that you know is an appropriate video and a safe information. But you know, you have to know your boundaries as well as a therapist, but there's no reason why you couldn't provide meaningful information. Talk about having an electric toothbrush, which could also, you know, hold a, a vibrator. And those are the conversations that I would have with my, my patients. And, you know, I, at any opportunity, we would be working on, like, bed mobility or um, grooming at any time. And I would say, you know what you could do? what else you could do in this position. And, and that was enough for some of them to be like, well, I have a question. Remember how the other day we did this? Um, I was thinking about it. And it can really start a conversation with them or give them that permission that we were talking about. So I know Mitch kind of already mentioned the Plissett model. Um, but since this model, they also developed the explicit model, which um, basically it says that permission is not just given once, it's constantly given. So it's, it's constantly centered around giving permission to have that conversation, to open up that talk with them, and to get them comfortable enough where they can ask you something without being judged. Do you guys have any questions before I continue? I kind of said um, last night when we had this talk, we, you know, I, I told Jean that I would kind of just give myself everything. Like you can give me a case study, you can give me anything you want, and I will try to give you my best response as possible. I'm so happy that I was able to give somebody after 11 years the ability to understand that he's able to ejaculate. I think that's unfortunate that it took him that long. Um, but this, this is a conversation that needs to be said so that this doesn't you know, continue to happen. So I'm like, there is no bad question. There's no off question. I think that I, I am open and welcome to anything. This is the, the, typically the, the lecture, I, I guess, I would provide to a patient. Um, and for you guys, the Pleasurable, it's in the, the booklets that you guys received. Um, the Pleasurable was made by an occupational therapist and a physician, and basically it breaks down anything and everything from what you can do with hand function, without hand function, with a lower motor neuron injury, and going from there. I'm trying to speed through because we're making up for the overtime, um, and to leave time for questions. So I always talk about erogenous zones, and I was so happy that the panel kind of talked about that they found other things that were really stimulating in comparison to maybe what sex was before their injury. Um, and I always make a joke about it in a Friends episode. So I, I don't know if you guys are Friends lovers, but um, there's this episode where Chandler comes in and he, 
he says like, you know, I'm having this hard time with this relationship of mine. And, and Monica and Rachel sit down and they're like, well, like, let's talk about what you're stimulating. And um, it was such a breakthrough moment because this stuff wasn't talked about on TV back then. So the newspapers and the magazines all kind of said like, oh, this leads to like what those seven erogenous zones are. So basically Monica writes on a pad, she draws a, bo a female body and Chandler's like, oh yeah, I know the female body, you don't have to show, oh, what's that? Um, and you know, you never get to see and then she numbers the different erogenous zones. So he goes, what, what's all these numbers for? And she goes, these are the parts that you should be like focusing on. And he's like, so more than seven, um, which you know gives you this visual of what the number seven was on the female body. And Rachel turns around and she goes, well, at Disneyland, you don't spend the whole day on the Matterhorn. You gotta go to other rides. So basically, Monica does this skit and she says that you should start off at one, one, two, one, two, three, four, two, three, four, five, six, four, Seven, seven, and she literally goes through this for about like 25 seconds, and she ends with this grand finale of this orgasm screaming the number seven. Um, and it's a really great kind of um, segue to get people to joke, to get them to laugh, and then to turn around and be like, so let's talk about these areas. Um, there are so many different spots on the body that become so hypersensitive. Another thing I've had uh, some of my clients do is, you know, we talk about the sen like all of the five senses. And if you actually take somebody who is legally blind, they'll tell you that their hearing is way better than somebody who's not legally blind. So if you eliminate some of those senses and try to explore in that sense, um, I have told patients that if you blindfold yourself and throw on some music, some noise-canceling headphones, and have your partner touch them just in different areas, it's so much more stimulating, whether you're able-bodied or not, because now all of a sudden you're relying on other sensations or other senses to be able to, to pick up and, and register those. So uh, there's plenty of things that you can explore, and it doesn't even have to be sexual intercourse. Um, sometimes after an injury, that's all they want to know. Can I have sex again? Can I have sex again? And, and there's so much more pleasure involved in non-intercourse penetration activity than um, when they actually are, are having sexual intercourse. So I like to tell them that there's all sorts of things to explore. I always provide resources. Um, Tom, who's the owner of Sports Sheets, he's wonderful. He has come to so many of these conferences and he always says, you know, I've learned so much that I got to work with him on a few uh, modifications of his um, devices and he actually has on his website a drop down for persons with disability and, and he really has adapted so much of his information and he seriously encourages anybody who has feedback or who wants to see something different, he will make it for them. Um, there's been a few patients of mine who have reached out to him and he's like, do you think I should like mass produce this? I think this is a great idea. And, and one of them, when I show you in the video, he has actually mass produced and it's now uh, available on his website. But it was literally somebody that when we were making the video, we're like, this is, in, like, this is what I would like to see. Um, and he was able to, he like literally sewed it while we were recording the video. And he was like, see if this works. And we did, and it was perfect. And she's like, can I keep it? And he was like, sure, let me just duplicate it because I know this one works, and then I'll mass produce them. And he literally is like selling them like crazy now to, to not just people with disabilities. So I'll show you that when uh, we get to it.
Um, so I always say that there's options um, that are, you know, if, if finances is a problem or, you know, they don't have the ability to pay a hundred and something dollars for things, there are certainly household items that you can be creative with. And I don't have to tell you guys. You guys are therapists. You're creative enough. Um, so we can find some other things. I also tell people that they should always start. Their first experience should be um, maybe in their chair. And the reason I say that is because it's a safe zone. You don't have to worry about autonomic dysreflexia. You don't have to worry or as much about autonomic dysreflexia, I should say. You can, um, you know, kind of explore on yourself. And I agree that you don't always get the best response when you're doing it on yourself. But, um, you know, Mitch has, like, provided so much in, in terms of, you know, instead of calling it masturbation, let's talk, call it your homework for tonight is to go into your room and just kind of touch that area and see, do you feel it, do you not? Touch this area, pull on your pubic hair, see if any of that causes a response, see if you can feel that. And if you can, let's talk about what you actually felt. Did you like it, did you did, if you didn't? Um, and, and that's a, such a better stepping stone than saying, how about you go back to your room and masturbate tonight and let me know how it goes. Um, like I said, Mount Sinai was a really, uh, we tried to pair uh, roommates as, as closely as possible. And sometimes it was wonderful and sometimes it was not so wonderful. But some of the um, rec therapists would be there late at night and said, you know, I'm going to take this guy out for, you know, the night so you can have like a few hours. He's, he and I are going to go do some adaptive sports. Or they would take them out of the room and that person had the room to themselves even if they were in a mutually um, confined room. It, you know, there is still, like I said, those patients who came in the next day and was like, you know, the curtain is not soundproof, right? <laughs> you should have seen what this guy was doing last night. I heard the whole thing. Everything the girlfriend was saying, it didn't work for him. Um, and that's a really great stepping stone for you to talk about it with that particular person and then later have a conversation with the other person. Like, listen, your roommate heard you last night. You want to talk about what happened? Um, and, and that could be done by anybody. It doesn't have to be just a therapist. It could be the nursing staff. It could be the physician, uh, the neuropsychologist. I mean, it's, it's an open game. Like I said, we were a team approach and we tried our hardest to at least once a week, we had our team meetings and at least once a week, somebody was addressing the topic of sex. Um, so I think we would be doing them a disservice if we didn't, you know, provide them with that type of information. Um, I also show them, you know, if they have a power chair, I get them into different positions and say, like, uh, this would be great for pulling up your pants, you know, after you catheterize. This is a great position for, you know, readjusting and getting off of your wound or whatever the, the issue might be. This is also a great position that if someone wants to sit on top of you, that would be okay. Um, and I always give the disclaimer, because I do wheelchair seating and positioning, that, you know, the weight capacity is a red flag. Because as we laughed about last night, I, I know when somebody comes in and that they were doing something they might have should not have been doing when their frame is cracked. Um, I, I work with a vendor who she's like the biggest prude of anyone um, and she knows what I do. She's always like, when you go on their lecture, um, you know, just don't forget to do this. Like she, she can't even say the word sex around me. Um, so she's always joking about it and, and there is this guy who came in and he clearly, like I knew, I, I literally was able to see how he cracked it um, and I was hysterical laughing and he kind of was laughing and she turned around and she's like, what? 
what? And I was like, you don't want to know how he broke his frame. Um, and she's like, I don't understand. I've never seen a frame break like this before. And I was like, well, you know, I said, um, I happened to say to the guy, I said, like, you know, do you by any chance know how much she weighed? And he laughed and he was like, I like them big. And that was like, it was just this awkward moment for her. But we were like kind of laughing because we're like, listen, we're not judging you at all. We're just saying like, if you like them big, just watch your weight capacity. You're at the threshold yourself sitting in this chair. Now you're adding somebody double the weight capacity. I mean, it's a problem. So anyway, I tell a lot of stories, so I apologize. Um, if I digress, they, I also tell them about positioning, putting, you know, it's one thing if you don't use anti-tippers in the hospital when they're first injured, everyone uses anti-tippers, but over time you, you can just simply tell them if you take your anti-tippers off, that's okay if you're okay with that, um, but park yourself in front of a wall so that you don't flip the chair backwards with you and, and your partner. Um, making sure the power is off. I've also had people break their legs because they drove right into a wall if someone accidentally, you know, even if someone goes in for a hug, they can activate the joystick, so. Um, and then a shower. There is no reason why a shower can't be a really nice place if they're in a shower commode chair. Um, of course, you have to worry about slipping, but really, for somebody who has a lot of spasms, uh, the shower, that warm water on them, it could be so sensual, but it could also be really relaxing to those um, spasms in their legs, and, and you can tolerate a few more um, positions at that point. The Liberator, has anybody ever tried it? Can somebody try it right now? <laughs> Who's willing to come lay on this? Okay, Jean, come on. <laughs> it honestly is, it's extremely comfortable. Um, if you lay your head here, yeah, and your butt here. Yeah, it's like you're meant for this. Um, and then slide down a little bit. So in this position, it really takes her pelvis and it's adjusting her up. So for somebody who's been sitting in a chair for a really long time, um, your pelvis starts to change. I'm gonna get into a little bit of pelvic floor changes after spinal cord injury. Um, but in this position, it angles her up so that you can get a little bit deeper of a penetration for her partner, but she's also not lying flat away from her partner. Um, she's able to like engage a little more if you were to come in and be in front of her. It gives her a little more participation. So in the video we used it on someone who she literally either had to have sex in her chair or 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 that she wasn't having it um, we put her on this and she's like can I take it home and um, we gave we gave her one because she it was a life changer for her she literally was able to be more upright and tolerate you know the penetration because it angled her hips without him having to move her um, during the video but also you know when you're completely flat your spasms get worse so if you stay a little bit flexed at your pelvis you now have the ability to accept deeper penetration, but also to be more engaged and more eye level. And it's comfortable, right? It is comfortable. It is. I don't know. You guys should try it after. So the Liberator uh, website has so many videos, so many different position techniques um, th that it's really ridiculous if you can't be creative with it because they do all the creative um, ideas for you. And they, they ask, you know, what your preference is. Um, I, like Mitch, don't ever ask what preference is. I ask your partner, um, unless it was really specific that you're trying to achieve. Um, and I always encourage patients anyway to, to really 
have conversations with their therapist because, like I said, you guys know what their medical stuff is, is way, way faster than I do. So you can answer a lot of questions about, is this position possible? Is it tolerable? Is it something that you can kind of try to achieve? Um, uh, swings is another great way. It, it allows, there's so many clients that come in and, you know, they said before he was injured, I was never on top. He was always on top, and now I have to be on top, and it's not comfortable for me. Uh, there's too much penetration when I'm on top, or there's, you know, it's just not comfortable. I'm not, I'm not physically fit to do it, whatever the case is. So there's, you know, some swing options that allow, you know, a little bit of what it was before injury to, to take place. There, um, again, this is sports sheets. This is an overdoor sling, and I always give the disclaimer that you cannot put it on like a hollow wood door. It will break your door. Um, but if you have, you know, like a front door would be great. I don't know if you, the person has family members that are home that becomes a problem, but uh, there's certainly, you know, eye hooks that you can get and suspend from a ceiling and, and talk about those kind of options so that someone could be suspended over because um, you could do a lot in this and then alternatives, talking about how you can use your Hoyer sling safely. So, so many people are using their Hoyer sling anyway, so instead of not talking about it or thinking, oh, I'm not going to give them that idea, they probably already have that idea. So it's a matter of saying how to use the straps correctly so that you can have access to the genitals in a safe way without somebody falling through um, or without tipping the whole Hoyer lift you know, over if, if it's a, a manual. Do you guys have any questions? Okay. So the shore hands lift, they did a really great job. They have these um, two, the shore hands lift is a very expensive device. However, if you have the ability to do it, you can actually just swing these two hooks on the outside and then you have full access to that genital area. So either the person who is able-bodied can go in there and then that able-bodied person is not sitting on their legs worrying about whether they're hurting them or breaking their femur, um, but also like gives the person sitting in the chair the ability to kind of swing them and have control and have a little bit more of stability and, and feel like they're really partaking in this. Or if you're the able-bodied, if that's you know, or vice versa. You can put the person who's in the chair into this and, and also provide different kind of techniques. All right, so some of these um, things that are up here, again, I, I like, I'm very proud to say that I, I had great receptive feedback from um, Tom and he has implemented a lot of these changes. He has a really nice neoprene um, material that he uses on a lot of his his you know cuffs so that you know I told him shearing and friction is a big part when you wrap this around someone's ankles you know we don't want it to be a problem it could also lead to autonomic dysreflexia if they're having a friction type motion um, so he really kind of listened and and his materials have really improved over time um, so you can use this uh, to hold the legs out of the way, to work on spasticity. Uh, you wrap it behind their back so that it kind of stays in a nice place. Again, to facilitate that pelvic um, uh, motion, to kind of throw them into a pelvic, uh, posterior pelvic tilt. 
Um, there is the doggy style shop, it's called, where I had a, a woman who, you know, she really was so much better when she was on her stomach. Um, her spasms were so intense. She was a C4 quad, and for her, she kind of got past, like, needing to be face-to-face because -face she literally could not tolerate, like, even on a wedge. She couldn't tolerate any sort of, like, you know, um, hip extension. So for her, she really liked to be flexed. So she went over a wedge, and then she found that every time her partner was grabbing her hips, it was digging in too much, and she was so distracted by it. So she really had, she struggled for a long time. Um, and then we kind of introduced this to her, where it's just a broad placement. It helps, you know, pull her stomach back, and it allows him to adjust her pelvis. And for her, it all of a sudden she's like, I could tolerate it. Like I can tolerate, you know, sexual intercourse again without him having to like physically dig his fingers into my hips and, and causing, like she would perseverate on the fact that, oh my God, he's just like really hurting me right now. Like let's get this over with. Um, and it was a really unfortunate experience for her. So something like this, it's so simple. It's a $30 strap that all of a sudden just becomes second nature. You can use a gate belt. It doesn't have to be, you know, this. Um, also taking, you know, a very spastic lower extremity and kind of tucking it out of the way, of course, being concerned about breaking the leg or fracturing it, but certainly you can, you know, find different positions that work. We use bed rails to work on bed mobility, so it's, it's so simple to kind of implement this. If you use this, you know, to pull yourself up in bed, you can also use this to kind of get your leg out of the way and, and not interfere with, you know, kneeing your partner as you're going. There is a super sex sling up here. Basically, it's again, it's a really nice pillow if you use it with the wedge. It kind of helps you keep propped upright. It allows you for that face-to-face, -face, that eye contact. Um, but it also provides for anyone who has rods in their neck. Um, it's a really nice. And, and these ones happen to have straps on it that we have modified to make it not go around your feet, but around your ankles. Um, but uh, you could get an airline pillow and do the same thing. This is just another restraint. And then I, I get my OT creativeness where I talk about other things. You have a calf pad on your wheelchair that you can take off and use. Um, that's free. Uh, you can use a belt, a tie, uh, you tie it to your bed rails, use your bed ladder if that's what you're using for bed mobility. Um, you guys ever heard of the Intimate Rider? I hope so. <laughs> So the Intimate Rider was designed by somebody with uh, C6, C7 tetraplegia who really just wanted to um, have sexual intercourse. And basically it provides this gliding um, motion. It's a really low seat. It's not the most comfortable thing to sit on, um, but it does give you the ability to have section, to, um, to have a, a thrusting motion. And I'm gonna show you on that video a few different positions that you can do. It does come with a Roho cover as an option um, so that you don't have to necessarily worry about um, skin as much. Do you guys have any questions? You guys are really quiet. Either you're absorbing this all in or you're done for the day. Um, I always tell people to catheterize to initiate um, sexual activity because as some people know, and I, we spoke about this again last night with caregivers, if they catheterize, they, you know, sometimes, especially in inpatient rehab, you know, they think that it's a response to them being touched and really it's just a response. It's not that they're, they're just having a reflexive um, 
um, reaction to the catheterization. So sometimes, you know, having that conversation where your patient can talk to their partner and say, when I catheterize, sometimes I get a little bit of an erection. So from there, now maybe we can introduce a vibrator in or we can start to go from there. So A, that you can kind of empty your bladder and not have reduced the uh, risk of a bladder accident, but also to use that as a way to start stimulation. So the penis pump is, is another option that uh, has really come a long way. Um, you use that in combination with a silicone ring. Um, after Fifty Shades of Grey kind of happened, um, all these little sex things, you can find them at CVS, they're like $10. Um, but the silicone rings can go at the base of the, the shaft. So when you get blood flow and you have an erection, you can kind of sustain that erection by cutting off the blood to not allow it to go back into the body. Um, they have vibrators on them, some of them, so that you can now turn that on and it can be used for clitoral stimulation um, during um, foreplay or um, sexual intercourse. And they've changed the way that it goes on. And there is something called the easy loader where basically they don't have to struggle if they have poor hand function with getting this around uh, the base of their penis. There's also a constriction loop, which allows them to just um, have like a tenodesis grasp and pull one end of it, and it does the same thing. It constricts at the base of the penis. So vibrators are a wonderful uh, tool. A lot of people, um, they don't realize that vibrators can be used on the penis to help, uh, you know, not just obtain an erection, but to sustain it, to keep it going. And there's no harm in, you know, at, if it's starting to go down and the erection's not staying, to use the vibrator to bring it back up and kind of play with, you know, how much you can go back and forth with to get um, a, a fulfilled uh, erection. Lefertacare, so this is actually not FDA approved anymore. They are trying to push for it. I talked to the owners of it actually like right a week ago and said like, what's going on with the Ferticare too? Um, and it's still an FDA approval because it is a medical, um, uh, medical grade vibration. And uh, it's a wonderful tool. You can place it on the shaft of your penis and uh, it's, it's very intense. It can cause autonomic dysreflexia, so you do have to worry about that. Um, but you know, if you get the right positioning down and you talk to your urologist, there you know, could be some um, management of that autonomic dysreflexia. There's like U-cuff, T-handle type vibrators that are out there. I mean, if you go into a porn store, like there, you would be surprised by what you kind of come across and how you can use different ways of doing it. So the picture with the person on the neck, that's actually a barbershop vibrator. So if you go into a barbershop, like an old school barbershop, they actually give hand massages and basically it goes on their hand. And while they're cutting, they actually provide like a massage, which I never knew until I brought my son to one. Um, and I was like, oh, this could be useful. Uh, and it's a really high grade um, vibrator that plugs in and it's hands-free. There's also hands-free vibrators that can go on your fingertips, they can go on your tongue, they can go anywhere that you have a viable moving part. An elbow, 
And then the alternative. So there are people who use um, an electric toothbrush to uh, enjoy, to pleasure themselves or to, you know, some of those toothbrushes are really a lot of friction. You can throw a condom over it so that, you know, you're not getting the bristles hitting. Uh, some people like that. They can use the bristles on different parts of their, area, uh, their body in different erogenous zones. Um, and then there's remote controls. So I, I like to tell this story, and I'm sorry if you've heard it before. I have a, a C4 quad that I've been working with for probably five years now. Um, and he, you know, met his partner, and, and she's the one. He's convinced she's the one. Um, and he said, you know, we have sex. He's able to orgasm. He's able to ejaculate. But he said she does everything. Um, and I want to be able to do something for her. So... I told him about this, and they first tried it out at a wedding. It's um, an app-controlled vibrator. So she actually places in her underwear, and they went to a wedding, and from across the room, he was able to, you know, if you have access to your phone, you have access to simulating your partner now. And from across the room, he said, like, he literally watched her, and he turned it on, and, like, he, she got uncomfortable, and, like, he saw her move, and he's like, I did that. Like, I was able to do that for her. I, nobody else did that. And it was just between the two of them. There was no home health aid for the first time. There was nobody helping them. Like, he was able to stimulate her. And to the point where she, like, came walking across the room, and she was like, would you stop? <laughs> like, I think, I think she was talking to his mother, too, which made it even worse. <laughs> Um, but, you know, like to give somebody the power to, to be able to do that with nobody's help. Nobody's sitting there helping them set up. Nobody's being able to, you know, like there's no home health aid that's like, I'm out of here, guys. I know what you're doing. Like the, that awkwardness was gone. He literally said, can you please wear this tonight? She wore it and he was able to do it at the mercy of whenever he wanted to. And he, you know, it, it gave him that ability to, to have such an amazing experience. And I think that's pretty awesome. So the Vibirect is what this gentleman uh, said it was shocking to him. So it is a um, medical grade uh, vibrator. It's extremely intense, um, but you place it. It's, it's intense. Um, you place it at the base of the of the penis, and you're able to kind of like work it up. You can use a tino. You can use a tenodesis grasp to grasp it, and basically you can ejaculate and get the sperm out. People use it as a way to um, keep their erection going. Um, so for people who are trying to have babies, um, milking the sperm is, is certainly a way that you can achieve that. Uh, there's plenty of people who literally can milk their sperm into a cup and then use it to, in a syringe and inject it that way at home. Um, so there are options, not just, you know, in vitro and not just being kind of told this is your only option. Um, I am, am really sad to say that I just met somebody who's been injured um, for like 30 years. And he has an 11-year-old son that he adopted, um, or they had a donor, um, because he didn't know that that was an option. And, you know, his son is 11. And I said, 11 years ago, like, this stuff was out. So how unfortunate that, you know, and of course, like, this is his son. He loves the, the there's no disconnect. But to the inability to have his own and, and require a donor was really traumatizing for him to learn that he had other options and just didn't know. So something to consider. 
Um, you can use electrical stimulation. So again, your alternative, if you happen to have a TENS unit, um, you can instruct them that if they set it to 10, their frequency is at 10 hertz and the amplitude is at 2.5 um, milliamps, you're able to place it on all different parts of the shaft and achieve um, an erection that way as well. So lower motor neuron injuries, and this is the story that um, uh, uh, Mitchell brought up earlier. I worked with a, a couple that they were engaged before his injury, or no, they were engaged after his injury. And he was a lower motor neuron injury who was unable to achieve an erection whatsoever. Uh, and his partner, she really had a struggle. She, and, and this happens more times than not. It was really hard for her to orgasm knowing that he couldn't. So there was like this really disconnection between them where no matter what he was telling her, I mean, he communicated with her. He said it turned him on. He was getting pleasure out of it. He was enjoying it. And no matter what they tried, it just, it was too much for her. She just was like, I'm okay. You can't have sex. I won't have sex. We're good. We could do this. Um, and I, again, worked with some really great neuropsychologists who kind of entered the scene and said, like, did you ever consider someone else? Um, and initially he was like, I would never share her with anybody. And she goes, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be another male. Um, it could be a female. And so they kind of explored and over time they found this person who for the last 10, eight years has been their girlfriend and they are still very much a married couple living together, doing everything. But every so often this girlfriend comes over and she is able to enjoy this sexual experience with her husband or her, her fiance and this woman, because in her mind, she's able to have an orgasm and someone else in the room is having an orgasm with her and so she doesn't feel that guilt. So for her it was just a very psychological problem that she was having despite the fact that he physically couldn't have an erection. So for that, I mean that doesn't, not everybody can do that. Um, but for them, I mean they have a very enjoyable um, sex life and they he and the girlfriend are actually in the video because, you know, they want her to f understand how much they appreciate her. So they, in you know, allowed her to come into the video and, and she got so much out of just being there and understanding what she did for them as a couple was, was huge. And he participates, he, he, you know, he's very active when it's all three of them there. So the thigh rider, um, you can place this anywhere. It's basically a Velcro strap. You can place it on your elbow, you can place it on your hand, you can place it wherever you can possibly you know, imagine to get movement so that you can get um, penetration without. There's also harnesses. So for people with lower motor neuron um, injuries, like a lot of the research out there talks about a stuffing technique where basically a flaccid penis is inserted and, and you're at least getting that face-to-face. -face. Um, this has really been modified. It's a very soft inner um, um, uh, like rubber material, I guess, um, where you're able to stuff into here, but now your partner has um, a, a hard erection so that you can really kind of have this sexual experience without um, constantly having a flaccid um, 
uh, penis. So one of the things that uh, one of my other clients was just kind of bringing up is, you know, she took to heart every time his erection went down, she thought, it's me. He's not attracted to me. He's, I'm losing it. I had him simulated and I'm not. So there's certainly a lot more that you can kind of provide to your partner by giving them a rigid penis. Okay, I'm going to skip through some of these. Females. So females is something that I'm truly interested in. Uh, you know, all of the research that you read is going to say that the biggest issue with females is lubrication and spasticity and positioning the legs. And that's really, the more I do this, the more I have women come up to me and say, like, that is far from the truth. I have so many more issues than that. So I have been working with a um, pelvic floor specialist at my facility who's, she is like so into vaginas that it's like almost uncomfortable to be around her sometimes at some meetings. But she's like, this is like a whole new world for me. Like understanding that, you know, you have somebody who has this high spasticity and literally like their pelvic floor is either over spastic or they're completely flaccid. And there's two different things happening. Either, either they're prolapsing, which makes it uncomfortable for anybody to have sex, let alone when your sensation's really impaired. Um, or instead of prolapsing, you're literally shrinking your, the vagina muscles because the pelvic floor is kind of tightening everything up and, and nothing is falling into place. And now you take that and, and somebody's sitting in a chair on a cushion all day long. There's so many things that are happening and so many bad parts that happen to the vagina just from sitting in general. So I had a patient, she had a wound, she basically prolapsed, she had a wound like on her um, inner labia and you know I kind of approached Nancy and I said, Nancy, I, I need your help with this and she's like, I don't do wounds and I was like, well, I don't do vaginas, so let's work together and try to figure this out. And literally, she, I mean, she got her to tighten up. Her problem was that she had no spasticity, so she was actually causing, like, an internal, like, there was some shearing, there was some friction that took place, but literally we were able to tighten up her pelvic floor as much as possible, so she was no longer sitting on her wound because she was sitting on the wrong part of her labia. Um, and it's so far so good, let's knock on wood, because I actually have to see her next week. Um, so this looks like a toothbrush. It's a medical grade vibrator. It's wonderful for people um, who you know, are just trying to explore and see if they can get some clitoral stimulation. The other thing I mentioned, so somebody who has high spasticity, who has like this really um, imbalance of their pelvic floor spasming, uh, there's vaginal dilators that you can use so that that hole can kind of open up so that they can have intercourse and penetration. Um, so these are some of the things that, you know, as healthcare professionals, we need to be thinking about, that this is not just a matter of intercourse and you have bad lubrication after your spinal cord injury. This is legitimate things that are happening to our women's bodies that we need to try to pay more attention to. Um, this is the pleasure pillow. I'm going to let the video do itself. So I know that you guys are itching to go. We're over. Um, basically, it was designed by somebody who lost the ability to um, move her hands in a very rare condition. So she developed a pillow where she was able to uh, masturbate by herself. Her husband had left her during this time and she was really trying to learn the ability to redo everything in her life and that was something that she felt she needed to do was to um, masturbate. 
Okay, and of course, you have to worry about autonomic dysreflexia, um, skin and friction, um, but you also have to bring humor into it. You know, just providing a shirt that says it works. I mean, I have so many patients that I have personally brought in for like community reintegration and we're like, let's go into a restaurant or let's go into a bar for your community reintegration. And we're like, by the way, put on this shirt. And it literally attracts, first off, like for men, a lot of times women come over and they just talk to them anyway. They don't necessarily have to. But usually they come over and they're like, does it work? I mean, can you have sex? Um, so if you just kind of put it out there in the first place and kind of have them laugh about it, it really kind of opens up a, a communication. Okay, I'm going to just show you guys this video. Is that good? No? Okay, we don't have to do the video. So, but they have the link for sexuality. yes, it's on, if you go to sexualitysci.org, you have um, access to my PowerPoint there, but you also have um, uh, all of the videos, and there's so many videos that are on there. It's um, on all different topics, and it's a great frame of reference for you to provide to your clients. Any questions? Sometimes I don't know if, like, when the audience is like, are you guys just taking it in? Are you overwhelmed? Yeah. <laughs> Say again. I don't have coupon codes. Actually, um, right now, the, um, if you go to Sportsheet and you email them and say, I'm interested in this product, he's more than willing to work with you. Yeah. Um, or at the Urology Health Store, uh, they always have discounts. It's always like 20% off on their website. And it's just Urology Health Store. That's where you get like the Viberact um, or some of like the, the other um, pelvic floor trainers. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there any equipment at that, whether like by Sportsheets or any other company, that helps with like the assistance of males being able to put on condoms at all? Well, the easy loader is like the closest thing that comes to it. Um, that is something that is, yeah, that's not always perfect. Um, I don't know if, no, you can't help. <laughs> I don't know of anything. Do you know of anything that helps put a condom on? Thank you so much everyone for being with us this day. Thank you so much, Lauren, for being flexible and for all the great information you shared. For more information about Kessler Foundation and our researchers, go to KesslerFoundation.org. That's K-E-S-S-L-E-R-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N.org. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter.